Season 1, Episode 2, The Lorelei's First Day at Chilton. It's Rory's first day at Chilton. While Lorelei spends the day running interference with her mother, Rory navigates the culture of her new high school. Welcome to Stars Hollow. I'm your host, Rachel Foss. With me again today for our second episode is my friend, Chrisana Tennyson. We are here today in sunny Chicago. Today it's sunny. Rachel is in the middle of performing a minor procedure on Winston the cat. Yes, my poor cat Winston has something stuck on one of his paws and he does not like it. Oh, poor baby. I know. <laughs> I know, honey. I know. That was traumatic for me. That was hard to watch for baby. No. Never heard him make sounds like that. Oh. He okay. Yeah. No, you saved the day. What do you think it is that got in his paw? Like what happened? Car- this carpet. Oh, I hate carpet. Winston is one of Rachel's two cats and he's also our manager. How are you holding up? Well, I have coffee because I didn't sleep last night. What were you doing? Being an insomniac and yelling at right-wing Christians on the internet. I don't know how you have the stamina to do that all the time. I mean, it helps that I just have insomnia, so I might as well do something late at night. Winston now seems to like you better. I don't know if you noticed that. I think he's mad at me because I had to how, how, fix how his paw. How are you getting that? He's like in the other because room. Because he came up to you and he rubbed your leg and he totally ignored me. Winston does not like me better than he likes you. You, say, you saved him. Yeah, but he doesn't know that because he's a cat. He's dropping the ball, but it's okay. Well, we all have our struggles. Yes. Speaking of struggles, do you want to get into our episode today? I am dying to. You literally sound like you are dying to do it. Yes. Well, let's get started. Let's go! Sorry. (laughs) I want to sound sound like... One of those, like the DJ buttons that you hit it and then it's like someone saying something cool, like, get do, 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 do. You know I'm yeah. going to leave that in, right? Yes, I okay. hope so. Today's episode is The Lorelei's First Day at Chilton, written by Amy Sherman Palladino and aired on October 12th, 2000. We open up this episode with Lorelei and Rory sitting on their front porch. Lorelai is painting Rory's toenails. Prep school girls are bad girls and bad girls paint their toenails red. You know, I didn't go to prep school, and I was a very Magoo kid, so I didn't get that memory. So, so you didn't keep your pedicure up at all times? No, I do now, but I have purple nail polish. What does purple nail polish mean? Ooh, Gosh. you know what? That's a good question. Well, purple is royalty. That's <laughs> That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> so then Lane runs in, very excited, and just yells, XTC, Apple Venus Volume 2. New album! New album. New album drop. And have you ever heard of that band before? No, I have not. No, you want to know why? Because they aren't very good. And that was their last album, and they never made another one. And they fell off the face of the earth because, I mean, this is obviously an opinion, but their music was very generic 90s. Oh, I like generic 90s. I know you do. But the (laughs) fact is, is that you like generic 90s, and you don't know who they are. And that should tell you something. They were a British rock band from the mid to late 90s. And this is a follow-up from Apple Venus Volume 1. But I don't know about that one either. Because you're not late? I'm not an audiophile that will just like anything. I'm pretty snobby about it. Audiophiles are hella snobby. But Lane is snobby, but understands and appreciates all music culture. That makes sense. Whereas I am just a snob. I'm not a music snob. I'm just, I'm just the worst is what it is. Oh my gosh, (laughs) you're not the worst. We are also officially on the Warner Brothers set. This is the Gilmore Girl house that we're going to see from here on out. There definitely will be some upgrades throughout the seasons just as the show progresses and gets better. So does the surroundings, but we're here now. There's no more questioning like from the pilot episode, where are we and where are we filming? It is the morning of Rory's first day of school. It's 7.10, what the hell? Trying to shake Lorelai awake. She's ripping a pillow out of her and she's screaming at her. It was a little over the top for me. What was your response to that? I disagree. I think Rory was 100% in the right. Again, this is yet another example of Rory being the parent. Rory should not have been the one to have woken up on time. Lorelai is the adult and it's her responsibility to make sure her daughter gets to school on time. Secondly, I don't want to brag, but I had perfect attendance all four years of high school. Oh my gosh. Also, like, we're all human. We make mistakes. 
but I can tell you that my parents did not do that ever. What, wake up late, oversleep? Yeah. The first 18 years of my life, there was never a time in which my parents forgot to make sure I was ready for school. And also, I absolutely agree with Rory's frustration. I would be very upset if it was my very first day of a new school, especially such an important school. This is not the time to depend on a furry clock. I agree with you. I would also be upset in that instance. I was jarred by the way that some of it was expressed. No. At no point in my life have I ever barged into my parents' bedroom. That was never a thing. Rory should be mad for all the reasons that you said. She should be angry. Also, it's 7.15. It's 7.16. It's 7.17. It was just very, like, disorienting. (laughs) And I like that Lorelai said, okay, time lady. Now, Prasanna, you are a little bit younger than me. So you might not remember this, but I do. Do you know about the Time Lady? No. Before we had smartphones everywhere or Apple Watches, if you didn't have a watch and you wanted to know what time it was or you were trying to set your clock, there was a phone number you would call and that was the Time Lady. It was a pre-recorded female voice and it would give you the exact atomic time. Oh. I also just want to call attention to Lorelai's pajamas. Ooh. Anyone who's around my age in the late 90s and early 2000s is going to remember the amazing catalog Delia's. Lorelai's pajamas are actually from the Paul Frank design, those famous sock monkeys that were a big hit back then, and they were all over Delia's. They were like a huge thing. I never wore them. They weren't really my style, but they were really popular at the time. So I just love that the costume design is thinking, okay, Lorelai is, you know, 32, but she's young at heart, obviously shopping from Rory's Delia's catalog. Also, okay, let's just stop right here because... Lorelai, you have a lot of options that would be way better than the cowgirl outfit that you chose. Oh, totally. First of all, you have two sundresses hanging in your closet that would be perfectly acceptable, especially if she was wearing the blue trench coat and left it a little open. It would still be more acceptable than what she wore. In fact, I would go so far as to say she could have wore those Paul Frank pajamas and it still would have been better than the outfit that she chose. Yes. So we pan over the official Stars Hallowed Town. This is now the Warner Brothers lot again. So this is the official Stars Hallow. We hear Sam Phillips yet again. Remember last episode I mentioned that we're going to pretty much hear her in every single episode of Gilmore Girls. But this is the song, I Don't Know How to Say Goodbye to You. And it's playing while Rory and Lorelai pass by Stars Hollow High. She's seeing her friend Lane standing there in her pink sweater alone, perhaps thinking of a certain potential lover who might be inside the school. I would be so sad. Lane seems like the best high school companion to have. They arrive at Chilton. Chilton is not a real place. It is, however, based on a real place. Chote Rosemary Hall. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that well, but it's in Wallingford, Connecticut. In real life, it's about 40 minutes away from where Chilton would be in Hartford, Connecticut. And the one thing that we know from the show is that Chilton was founded in 1803. So what we know as Chilton is actually a well-known estate Doheny Greystone Mansion in Beverly Hills, California. Greystone Manor has a long, dark history and is probably super haunted. It remains a very popular filming venue. The list is really long when I looked this up, but so I'm just going to name off things on the list that are my favorites. Of things that happened there? Of things that were filmed at the same building as oh. Chilton. So my favorites that were filmed there were The Muppets, the Jason Segel one, The Holiday, America's Sweethearts, The Social Network, The Big Lebowski, Beautician and the Beast, which is a movie I mentioned to you and you had no idea what I was talking about. And that remains true. Death Becomes Her, which is a classic, and most importantly of all, Meatloaf's music video for I Will Do Anything for Love. Yes, that is my favorite thing you listed. Lorelai gets out of the Jeep and says, I look like that chick from the Dukes of Hazzard. Lorelai is referring to the character Daisy Duke, a character from Dukes of Hazard, who was known as a feisty and adventurous, but famously scantily clad Southern Belle. It's where we get the term Daisy Dukes when we talk about short shorts, because she wears short oh, shorts. Gosh. Oh, gosh. Fun fact for everybody listening in 2020 is Amazon is 
considering pulling Dukes of Hazard because it glorifies the Confederacy. Bam, 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 bam. It, is it also considering pulling the updated version with Jessica Simpson? I don't know anything about that. Please refer to my assistant, my cat Winston. Winston, what you know about my... Jessica Simpson? So as I walk onto the campus, Lorelai throws on a black trench coat, start to look for the headmaster's office. But before they can find it, they are intercepted by a man by the name of Ian Jack. Strong sugar daddy vibe. He immediately offers to help. He starts hitting on her. Where's her husband? Oh, you're her mother? You don't look old enough to be a mother. She's digging it. Chilton Dad, AKA Ian Jack, is played by actor Nick Chinland. I hope I'm saying that correctly, Nick. I apologize, I'm terrible at pronouncing names of stuff, but he's been in tons of stuff, active actor. I've never seen that man in my life. To speak to that, I feel like this is very similar to when we were talking about how goobery the men on Sex and the City look oh, in the first yes. couple seasons that were in the 90s. It, it gives me that same vibe. Yes. Just kind of like generic white male that I don't find particularly attractive because there's nothing really... I was surprised that Lorelai was into it because she's like 100% out of his league. Maybe she just needed that affirmation. I don't think he's bad looking. He seems like someone who would like hang out with her parents. And so that's why I was surprised that she was into it. Yes, that is a very good point. And that's exactly why I think it puts me off so much. Yeah. But Rory has to get to the headmaster's office. She drags her mom away from the interaction with Zaddy. They pass by a group of three girls who notice her walking by, helmed by the true hero of the show, Paris, and we're gonna learn more about her in a second, but I'm very excited to see her. Rory and Lorelai walk into the front room of the headmaster's office where they run into the assistant who appears to have been at Chilton since its inception in 1803. She is the last surviving Bronte sister. That was a compliment. I would date this woman today and tomorrow. I do appreciate that she looks exactly like what women in vintage films look like in a 1945 movie playing a secretary, which I appreciate. However, I do not appreciate the cheap trick and bad camera work and cinematography of that moment because it was very generic and it was very forced and it always really annoys me. When you say the cheap cinematography, what do you mean specifically? They were trying to force this reaction. I think she just looks like a normal older woman. There's nothing weird about her or harsh. She just lifted her head, but they want to make it seem like it was sharp or a reaction and it really wasn't. They tried to create that with the close-up and the way that the camera angles were, but they did not pull it off. And as a former film student, stuff like that drives me crazy when I'm watching something. So that's all I have to say about that. This is also the second time in two episodes that we hear about Lorelai naming Rory Lorelai because she was whacked out on Demerol. I love a drug reference. Headmaster Charleston's office, where they are greeted by the man himself and Emily Gilmore. We meet the headmaster, full name Hamlin Charleston, played by Melvin Richard Matthews, aka Bacon Matthews. Helen! We finally see Emily in her real essence, looking amazing and hot and sexy. Her hair and her makeup and her skin is glowing and she looks good. She looks excellent. She was ready for this meeting and the way she stood up, like, as if she was announcing her presence. In the future, Rachel, when you come home from work, if I'm here, I'm, I'm gonna stand up and greeting. Only if you look like Emily Gilmore. What's gonna happen is I'm gonna look like Lorelai, but I'm gonna carry myself like Emily. That's a really good balance to have. Yeah. I am probably gonna act like Lorelai and look like Emily. Okay. Actually, I think that, no, yeah, that does sum us up pretty well, I think, actually, because you like vintage stuff, mm -hmm. but you are, like, fun and playful. I appreciate that. So one thing I want to point out about the scene is that in the background, you can see a large print of the painting, The Fountains. Now this isn't a super duper famous painting. It's not, you know, Monet's Water Lilies, but this is a painting that I happen to know really well. And that is because its home is here in Chicago at the Art Institute of Chicago. Again, it's called The Fountains by French painter Hubert Robert, it was painted in 1788. And that painting also has three other companion pieces. And the way it's set up in the art museum is they have it in four corners. So it kind of looks like you're walking into the old ruins. And I just thought that that was really cool that I have watched this episode probably 5,000 times, never have noticed this painting that I happen to know really well. And it was just really fun to kind of see that little detail in the background. 
Lorelai's pissed. Why is Emily there? And now her mom's gonna be there seeing her look like she's going to a fish concert. She's hobnobbing with Hanlon, their old friends, Hanlon. To me, it seems like one of the reasons that she might be uncomfortable is if Rory partially got into the school based on that relationship. If we establish that Rory partly got in or Lorelai thinks that Rory got in because of Emily and Richard, it kind of takes away the entire discussion that we had about how hard it was for Lorelai to accept money for Chilton. And so I personally don't want to think of it that way. This next scene is hella intense. Rory's left alone in the office with Headmaster Charleston. Yeah, she has great grades. Teachers love her. She wants to be Christiane Amanpour. Headmaster Charleston is being a huge dick right now. And I can understand him just being very real with her and having this conversation. But he could have said, if you fail, not you're probably going to fail. What a fucking asshole. It definitely felt like a power thing for him. Failure is a part of life, but not a part of Chilton. What the? What the hell? Well, see, that part I get. But to outright say you're probably going to fail, go fuck yourself. You don't say that to a child. That kind of thing, I am 27 years old. I'm still trying to slough off that viewpoint. <laughs> Seriously. I think you bring up a good point because a lot of times what happens is that pressure leads to severe anxiety. It leads to teenage suicide. Mm -hmm. emotional problems, mental problems. When you put that kind of pressure on a child who is just a human and you're not teaching them how to fail and deal with emotional failure, mm -hmm. emotional learning is just as important as academic learning for a child, even a teenager. And we might not be getting that at children, it looks like. So a few references I just want to point out from this scene. Rory mentions her German group leaving because they watched Schindler's List. Schindler's List is the 1993 film about a German businessman who rescued over a thousand Polish Jews during the Holocaust. And then she mentions that she wants to become Christiane Amanpour. I don't really hear a lot about Christiane Amanpour these days. I don't know if she's retired or what she's doing. I think she is still on CNN, but don't quote me on that because I don't watch CNN. But back then, she was the shit. I was watching Christiane Amanpour back then, even in, as a teenager. She became very famous for her journalism because she was reporting directly from the Bosnian War in the early 90s. And a lot of people were mad at her for telling the truth about what was happening. Mm. Next, Koki Roberts is mentioned. Koki Roberts is an American journalist, and she is known for working as a political correspondent on World News Tonight and Morning Edition, which are two shows that I don't think are on anymore. But again, don't quote me on that, because I don't really know. Of course, we all know who Oprah is, and in case you forgot, in the last episode... Chicago. Wendy. Oprah. Yeah, that's right. Oprah Winfrey, of course, was a daytime talk show host, as was Rosie O'Donnell. Man, I fucking love the Rosie O'Donnell show. I remember that show. Oh, it came on at 4 p.m., so it was right after I came home from school. That was something that I was actually able to watch with my parents because we all enjoyed it, and it was family-friendly, and it was so much fun, and she was hilarious, and they had all my favorite musical guests on it sometimes. You know, that was a really good show. They also mentioned women from The View. Now, in 2000, The View was still new, and The View hosts were Meredith Vieira, Star Jones, Lisa Ling, who was my favorite. I love Lisa, Lisa Ling. Ling. I know, right? I believe she's from Sacramento. Don't quote me on this. I'm going to double check. We also have Barbara Walters and Joy Behar, or however you pronounce her name. Now, today, The View hosts are Joy Behar, Megan McCain, Sonny Hosen, and Whoopi Goldberg, who also hey. supports Native American rights and the murdered and missing Indigenous women. Lisa Ling is from Sacramento. 916, represent. What's up? Lisa Ling was actually a favorite of mine, and I do remember her from Channel One, and I followed her career for a really long time. Although, again, I don't know what she's doing these days, but I remember when she sister it was did. her sister. It was her sister, right? Yeah, I remember following that story and being like, "Wow, like she was doing, she was doing amazing stuff." So I would argue that Rory could want to be one of the women from The View because she could be Lisa Ling because Lisa Ling was on The View in the year 2000. However, that was before her sister was trapped in North Korea. Lisa Lee, where are you? What are you doing? Please contact us. You're welcome to come on our show anytime. I'm, sure, she, I'm sure she's dying to come. 
Rory walks into that administration office where she gives Mrs. James her information. Mrs. James then gives that folder to the student assistant who nefariously passes that folder out the window into the hands of an expectant student. We pan outside the window and we see that the student in question is Madeline Lynn, played by Shelley Cole, Louise Grant, played by Teal Redman, and the Paris Geller, played by the Liza Weil. Paris is tripping. Paris has to know who is this new girl and is she a threat? And she's a journalism major. <gasps> so she might be trying out for the school paper. But Louise seemed a little excited to be getting a Dixie chick, which of course is reference to the band that were basically three white women with the racist name. I haven't thought of that interpretation of the Dixie chicks. I have to think about it now. I hadn't occurred to me to think about them that way because I always thought of them protesting against Bush. Yeah, well, their name is still Dixie chicks and Dixie is referencing slave traders and slave land. I had never thought about it like that, but you're right. But Louise seems to be happy that Rory's coming because now we have drama. You know what, that's true because I think Louise loves drama. Oh, I mean, I love drama as long as I'm not in it. Paris definitely does not like drama. And Madeline seems indifferent because she's too worried about the bugs and the lizards that, by the way, don't live in Connecticut. I think that Amy might have momentarily forgot that they're not supposed to be in California. They're pretty rare and special sighting, even if you do live in an area where they are. But Madeline was not digging it. There's spiders crawling on her. This is way too much recon for her. She is not meant to be a spy. She's not cut out to be a spy. Based on Paris's reaction to Rory's record, it seems like she's used to having the top spot at Chilton on lock. So she's very, very threatened by this unknown presence. Lorelai walks into Luke's very rudely. A nice man is holding the door and she doesn't even say thank you. She looks like she might be losing her mind the way she's like walking in. But at least acknowledge kindness. I did not catch that. That man blended into the background for me as well. Lorelai and I are both unkind people. I mean, no, of course <laughs> not. But the way it came in, it was like, she didn't even acknowledge that he was a human being standing there. Like, I don't personally think that women need to compliment men for doing basic things, but he's still a person. <laughs> I definitely get irritated when I hold the door open for someone and they don't acknowledge it. So yeah. For sure. Has she had coffee yet, though, or is this her first coffee of the day? Good point, because she had to run out of the house. Yeah. So I bet she did not have coffee yet. She's so, yeah. So that makes sense. Maybe her brain isn't fully functioning yet. I get, I relate. I understand. Oh, it's totally. So she's in there. She tells Luke, coffee please. What else would she be in there for? Lorelai is saying it's a jumbo coffee day. Luke is saying it's an herbal tea and balanced bar kind of day. Why, why does Luke sell food and beverage that he has such a strong reaction to? Am I, am I right to be interpreting this as flirting? Because otherwise I don't understand like why he's not opening like a juice bar. Let's not confuse flirting with negging. Oh, good point. It didn't occur to me to think of that. Luke is totally nagging her. But to be fair, she is crazy unhealthy in her eating habits, and Luke is. And so maybe a part of it is Luke cares about Lorelai under the surface. He just doesn't understand that yet. And so he wants to project, I want you to be healthy onto her. But because they have such fun banter and they've known each other for a few years, it comes out like that. And that's just the relationship. She says later in this season that their relationship is, give me coffee. No. Come on, please. No. The perfect model of a healthy relationship. <laughs> so a few things I want to talk about in the background of this scene. Number one, Chrisana, do you know what Luke's special is today? I did not catch it. Hamburger with key lime pie. Also, we see the no cell phone sign for the very first time. And of course, that plays a very popular prop throughout this show. It's a comedic prop for sure. Lorelai's getting ready to go home and get changed for work, but she parked in front of Miss Patty's dance studio. She says hello to Miss Patty during her, quote, cookie time, which is Miss Patty's code for cigarette break. I loved that. From now on, I'm only referring to cigarettes as cookies. But um, you don't smoke. But I will refer to them as cookies when other people are smoking, and I will let the confusion explode from there. 
So if you look in the background of Miss Patty's dance studio, past the girls dancing, you'll see a sign that says Palace Theater, Belle Bolton. I just thought that this was really cool little detail. Belle Bolton isn't super famous, but she was a popular dancer in Broadway musicals throughout the 1920s. So Lorelai is staggering under a pile of clean clothes while balancing a cup of coffee. She's still outside the house when she hears the phone ringing. I totally relate to this moment because that's exactly how I carry a bunch of stuff in and out of the house when necessary. I refuse to make two trips. Exactly. We're doing this I one refuse. time. Lorelai also refused, but unfortunately she could not refuse the ringing of the phone, which held on the other line. You guessed it, Emily Gilmore. She is looking through Chilton's catalog and she's wondering if Rory might need some additional clothes. Lorelai is not interested in that. Rory has enough clothes, but Emily is insistent. She wants to get her this extra stuff. She thinks that she needs it in order to fit in. What are your thoughts on what happened? One of my biggest high school purchase regrets is buying a high school jacket, my letter jacket. Why? Because even though it was great and I felt good about it in high school, the minute I graduated, it was meaningless to me. Basically, what it was was a leather jacket that was not form-fitting or stylish that had all of my accomplishments on the back. It had tennis captain, it had art school, it had band, you know, those things that were important to me in high school. Again, it was just so pointless when I look back at it, and I'm disappointed that Sometimes I get guilt about things my parents bought me that didn't get them on a use that I feel like it deserved because mm -hmm. that jacket and the lettering that went on it was very expensive. Do you still have the jacket? It's possible it's in a bin in my parents' basement, but I couldn't tell you for sure. Do you think if you came across it, you would feel like nostalgia or like how do you think you would feel? I would probably take a picture of it and post it as like a <laughs> look at this funny memory and then I would donate it. Oh my gosh. So one quick thing in the background, I don't know if you noticed this, but that super creepy clown pillow behind Lorelai, mm -hmm. behind the couch. I did not notice that. I've never noticed that before, but this is definitely the Gilmore Girls living room that I know. Remember in the last yeah. episode, I was like, that is not their living room because it was very well decorated, very country, cute, very well put together. And as you can see in this episode, that living room is a chaotic design mess. I'm trying to remember, does Lorelai seem more zany in this episode than she did in the first episode, or am I misremembering, or is that just because she's stressed out? Oh, I think you're right. I think we're leaning into Lorelai's character in this episode. You know, remember the pilot is filmed way ahead of the show getting picked up, so this is their chance to actually really develop their characters. It's also why we see Emily kind of fleshed out a little bit more and mm -hmm. why she looks a little bit more put together. She has her style and, and things like that. We're definitely getting the real Lorelai now, the zany one that you're referring to. Like when she says, it's fuzzy, it purrs, referring to her fuzzy clock. I mean, she's just so eccentric. And again, I you know, she's, a little bit more immature than she should be at 32 because of her circumstances. And so we're finally seeing that fleshed out. The thing is, I would absolutely own a fuzzy alarm clock. I think it would be fun. That is not my aesthetic at all. I own two analog clocks. They both were my grandparents. One my grandfather made. It's a wood clock that go on the mantle. And the second one was from their house. It's from the 1950s. It's their old wall clock. Welcome to room 112 with Mr. Remy. I'm going to assume this is either Russian lit or classic lit. It's the first class we see of Rory's, and she doesn't seem too confident on what's going on. Russian lit is already a pretty heavy topic, but it doesn't help that Paris is, I have the answer, 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 answer. And here's my question for you, Chrisana, mm -hmm. because I know you were an English major. Did you ever have a class about Russian literature where it talked about those influences on those writers? Because I tried to look it up and I didn't see anything that confirmed that Charles Dickens was a huge influence on Leo Tolstoy or that Dostoevsky was super inspired by Sand and whoever that other person was. I am the worst English major of all time. I have never taken a Russian lit class. I have no idea who they liked. <laughs> oh, no. I'm literally 
listeners, I, I do have a, a bachelor's degree in English literature. I don't know. I cannot, I can neither confirm nor deny, but you know what? Paris says so. And I, that's all I need. I can't believe everything this show tells me because Amy wrote in a lizard in Connecticut in the fall. And I just don't believe that for one second. Unless I see it confirmed somewhere else, I'm just going to take that for face value. I did, however, find a list that Tolstoy put out about the 50 books that you should read. Mm -hmm. And David Copperfield was on that list, but it wasn't even at the top of the list. So I, I can't imagine it being his favorite book. I mean, it might be that the teacher was just pointing out the books that had already been discussed in that class or that were most relevant in that class, perhaps. Maybe. If Charles Dickens was Tolstoy's favorite author, wouldn't there be more than one Dickens on his reading list? Well, I'm no Leo Tolstoy, but whenever I make lists of like favorite bands or favorite song, things of that nature, I try not to put them more than once. It's like in High Fidelity when Rob is talking about, okay, you're making a playlist. You can't hash. Oh, she has all these rules. I'm talking about the Zoe Kravitz version, which okay. is always going to be the version that I talk about. But anyway, okay. you, you don't put the same artist twice on the list because you want to make sure that you're getting enough breadth when you're talking about that's a very good, list. no, that's a very good point. And I would compare Leo Tolstoy to Rob, I, 100%. One and the same. And the same with Dostoevsky, I don't know. He said that he turns to George Sand and Balzac. I have never read George Sand or Balzac, but I do love Dostoevsky. Mm -hmm. But I don't understand that reference. So again, I can't confirm that they are related in any way. I said it before, I'll say it again. Paris is never wrong. Um, <laughs> and she confirms it. So I'm just gonna, you know, be strong and wrong or right with my girl. I respect your blind love for Paris. So as Paris and the professor are exchanging their witty repartee, their call and response about Russian literature in slides. Yet another teen, not quite as cool as the teen from the previous episode, but he thinks he's as cool. And he is greeted as Mr. Dugray, full name Tristan Dugray, played by Chad Michael Murray. I know normally you like to introduce, but... <laughs> no, that's okay. I know that you were very excited to see I, Chad Michael Murray I, in this episode. He's late. He hands, a, he hands a note to the teacher. He doesn't seem to be too stressed out about the fact that he's late. He has a note that seems to indicate that his grandfather was sick. I don't buy it. I think his grandfather is perfectly healthy. I think he was probably up to some teenage shenanigans, teenage rich white boy shenanigans outside of the classroom, and he was late for that reason. He walks in and he eyeballs the new girl. Who is this mysterious woman? These people are very easily entertained, I will say that. So class ends and Rory walks up to the teacher and receives a full binder? of materials that apparently only covered the last week of class. Which is bonkers. Yeah, I was definitely like, I could hear like the thud of that pile of papers landing in her hands. And there's gonna be a test on it the next day, but she gets until Monday to learn the materials. But what's mind boggling is that that's only a basic outline of what they discussed. The teacher recommends that she gets another student's notes to study from. Which makes absolutely no sense. There aren't enough hours in the day for there to have been more notes than that. And honestly, the materials that he's providing should cover everything that he would put on the test. Otherwise, I think that's irresponsible. Yeah, especially asking a new student to automatically and suddenly right now befriend a stranger and say, can I have your notes? No. Excuse me, but no. Also, this strikes me as a highly competitive school. So like, are there even people that would be willing to give her notes? Absolutely not. In fact, we'll see in a, in a minute exactly what it will take to get oh notes. My God. Rory barely makes it out of the classroom before she runs into Paris, who's been standing outside waiting for her. She knows who she is, Lorelai Gilmore, and she should know that Franklin is her domain and this school is her domain. Rory has absolutely no clue what Paris is talking about. She still doesn't know where her locker is. We are transported to Suki's kitchen. Thankfully, things have calmed down. There is no chaos there. She has finally found something to channel all of her nervous energy into, which is meticulously going through an entire crate of peaches, trying to find the perfect one, much to the annoyance of the fruit man, Jackson. Jackson Belleville, played by Jackson Douglas, Fun fact, at the time when this show was on the air, he was married to Alex Borstein, aka Drella the Harpist, but they divorced in 2017. Oh, wow, that's recent. Mm -hmm. 
So Suki is going through the peaches, you know, she doesn't want them to be too watery. She doesn't want them to not taste right. Jackson's ridiculing her because he's saying, why would the peaches not taste like peaches? They're peaches. I would like to say, but I definitely feel like I've come across far more fruit that doesn't have much flavor to it anymore. Was that your experience? Well, there's a reason for that. Yeah. It comes from the fact that we ship our fruit to different places. Like peaches in Chicago won't be from Chicago normally. They'll probably be from Florida, California. So they have several days to transfer. And also normally that kind of fruit is picked before it's ripe because it has to travel yeah. and it has to last while it travels. That's why for a lot of fruit, I buy it frozen because frozen fruit is always picked ripe. So when you eat it, it's actually more of a flavorful fruit. Same with tomatoes too. Like canned tomatoes are actually more fresh than fresh tomatoes sometimes. I will try that next time that I attempt eating um, healthy foods. One thing I will say about these peaches though, and I caught this little detail. One of those peaches has a sticker on them, like from a grocery store. So I think Jackson is faking it. What's your, no wonder he's so irritated. No wonder why Suki is so irritated. She's trying to get farm fresh fruit and Jackson is playing her like a fiddle. I think what probably happened was his peach crop wasn't so good, and so he had to compensate it from a grocery store. Man, that explains why he's so defensive and he's trying to rush us along. But Suki will not be tricked. Suki's in the middle of, you know, figuring out Jackson's dastardly plan, and Lorelai slides in, finally wearing her actual private school mom outfit, and she comes in to ask Suki for her affirmation. She finally gets some affirmation that day, not counting the affirmation she got earlier from the guy who was hitting on her. And thankfully, Suki is there to provide that. And before we leave this scene, I just want to point out that Jackson's shirt says Planet Watch, which is cute. That means he likes the environment. He cares about the environment, except for he bakes his farm fresh peaches. Yeah, he's got two sides for sure. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. So once we leave the kitchen, Michelle gives us yet another example of his award-winning customer service when a pair of older women eagerly ask him if he knows where they can find the best antiques in Stars Hollow. His winning response is that probably in their house. After that, we see Lorelai on the phone once again. It's Emily. Emily is super, super excited because she was able to snag a coveted and difficult to get parking spot at Chilton. Lorelai has no idea what she could be referring to since Rory doesn't have a car. Also, Lorelai's a little bit um, discombobulated because Drella is playing the harp super loud like she's in a metal band. And then she says, do I look like I have Panasonic stamped on my ass? I am someone who normally sides with workers. I'm pro-worker. But you're fired, Drella. Come on. I mean, the level of like vitriol that she had in that moment when she was like, okay, girl. Emily doesn't need to get Rory a parking spot because Rory doesn't have a car. Rory will be getting a car. Emily says that she would like to get Rory a car because her birthday is coming up and she doesn't want her taking the bus because, quote, drug dealers take buses. Emily is demonstrating that she doesn't know a lot about drugs or the drug culture. If she's wanting Rory to stay away from people who use drugs, she needs to look at the private school environment. A lot of rich private school teens are on drugs, let's just be honest. And I would be surprised if there were a lot of people dabbling with performance drugs given the high pressure environment at Shelton. Also, a lot of drug deals take place in and outside of cars. So then we jump back to Chilton real quick to catch Tristan DuGray using coercion and intimidation to sexually harass Rory into giving him favors in exchange for his notes in that very intense literature class. So right away we see just what a super stand-up guy Tristan is. I'm also highly suspicious that his notes are not high quality. Luckily Rory sees right through that and she wants no part of this. And I think that she can see it because of how bad his haircut is. He leaves by signing off once again with, bye Mary, my name is Rory. So in the next scene, we see Lorelai mediating a heated discussion between an older customer and the valet. Um, apparently, there's a scratch on his car that was not there previously. What's going on? I call it bullshit because that's just a white privileged man and using his privilege to put his mistakes on someone from a lower 
class system. Oh, he absolutely just noticed a scratch right before then, but that scratch was definitely there previously. Oh, 100%. Also, Lorelai says to take it to Muskie's, which is not a place we'll ever hear again. Later, we know that the auto mechanic in Stars Hollow is Gypsy, but maybe Muskie's is just specifically for car detail. Next, we have probably my favorite moment is Michelle coming up to Lorelai and says, someone's here to see you. And Lorelai says, my mother. And he says, possibly. And they look over and it's hot Chilton dad. And she's like, possibly. There's a resemblance. It's just the way that camera work and that angle yeah. happen, along with the reason why Michelle is so funny mm -hmm. is his delivery. It's yes. always straight faced and he nails it and it makes it so funny. There's a resemblance. And also the way that the dad was leaning against the counter is also pretty hilarious. Right? And it was like the whole thing together was so funny. And I gotta say, Chilton dad is demonstrating why he's been so successful in business because he wastes no time trying to close the deal. But Lorelai's gotta draw a boundary somewhere. She can't jump in to dating dads at her daughter's high school. Well, that is so interesting that yeah. you said those exact words. Because we've talked about Lorelai and boundaries. So I am actually very proud of Lorelai in this moment. Oh gosh. <laughs> in the background, we hear Drella playing her beautiful harp. And then we pan over and see everybody sitting around her because the song is absolutely stunning. And everyone is in awe and she's rocking it. And then she just gets up, it's lunch. I like that Drella keeps it real. She knows that when it's lunchtime, she's clocking out. She's not following our capitalist structure. She's not working overtime. She's like, no, it's lunch, I'm out. Oh no, I respect that. You know I have very solid boundaries when it comes to work and pay and time. I'm the same way, even working from home. I'm like, oh, it's lunchtime. Oh, it's five. So I do respect that. Well, Rory finally finds her locker, but of course it's stuck because it wouldn't be a high school trope without a difficult locker. And as she finally opens it, she slips and backs into Paris, who just happens to be right behind her, carrying a huge porcelain medieval diorama set. Like, what the fuck is that? There's no way Paris did that herself. She either paid for it to be done where her parents took care of it. Rory feels really bad about it. She tries to help. Paris says, get away from me. And she just leaves it in there yes. and goes into the classroom. Rory asks a passing student, where is Miss Ness history? Right behind you. Same classroom. Now, Chrisana, you know this about me personally. Yes. You know that one of my biggest pet peeves and something that I very much hate in life and in television and movies is people who are the product of their own misery. You know how much I hate that. Are we jumping into Paris in the classroom? Yes. Before we do that, can I ask, who's cleaning up the porcelain crap? They just both walk away well, from it. That, that's part of my thing. She literally just leaves it there and walks away and is now mad, walks into the classroom and says, I don't have my project. The teacher is about to give her an incomplete when literally all she could say, it's literally outside the door. Go look at it. It's destroyed. This is Paris's fault. I don't feel bad for her. And Rory could also have spoken up and said, Miss Ness, I'm so sorry. I backed into her. If you want to verify my story, it's literally sitting in the hallway because nobody took care of it and everybody just came into this classroom. And it's a hazard. It's broken <laughs> Porcelain. Sharp. There are shards on the ground outside. Are we even going to like acknowledge? Like what? Exactly. Oh, this thing drives me absolutely nuts. I absolutely hate it in TV and movies when people are the product of their own misery and then complain about it. Sorry, I don't feel bad for you. I won't mention the shows in which made me upset oh, with these tropes, tropes because they are very popular shows and I know I will get hate mail for mentioning them, but just yeah. know I don't always like popular stuff because I do not accept people who are the product of their own misery and then are assholes to cover it up and say, I deserve to be an asshole because I'm miserable, even though you are the one creating your misery. I don't have patience for that. And I don't have compassion for Paris in this moment at all. And I also don't have compassion to Rory. It's just out, look out the door. It's right there. Last episode, you got hot on the topic. Yeah, I'm hot on this topic. You are, I yes. hate this. It drives me 
I can understand Paris not wanting help from Rory on a pride level and also because she sees her as competition, but why was she so reluctant even to have Rory acknowledge her role in the destruction of the project? Because she doesn't want to be associated with Rory in any way. She probably sees this as possibly a symbol of what is to come. She has a perfect situation here at Chilton. She's top dog. Rory came in here to fuck up her situation, so yeah. Paris has her own narrative in mind already without even meeting Rory. This just happens to fit Paris's narrative and Paris is putting it in to what she already assumes Rory is there to do. Cut to a long shot of supposedly Stars Hollow, but dude, that is 100% Unionville again. Way to use old B-roll footage. Also, Stars Hollow, population 9,973. I don't think so. There's no way that there are 9,000 people in this town. I would believe 973, but not more than that. I think there's like 100 people in this town. <laughs> there's only like 20 people that go to the town meeting. There's like a cool hundo. Cut to Lorelai walking past Miss Patty's yet again. This time, Miss Patty approves of her wardrobe and also is telling her students that that is the new Harry Potter book on their heads. Oh. And if it drops off their heads, then Harry will die and there won't be any more books. Now, since this came out in October of 2000, that means that she would be referring to Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, which was released in the United States in July of 2000. So Lorelai slides back into Luke's Luke readily pours a coffee from her, which is a refreshing surprise. And she tells him about her day. Her mom's been on her all day. And this um, older parent from Chilton drove all the way out from Hartford to ask her out. But she had to turn him down because she didn't want to cross that boundary with Rory's school. Luke says, good. Good in what way? Like, why are you so relieved that she turned this guy down? Do you have feelings for Lorelai, Luke? Is this your way of communicating something? And then she has to go because Babette, her neighbor, is calling her and she has to go figure out what's going on. She gets ready to pay for her coffee and then Luke says, don't worry about it, it's decaf. Now, I'm not sure if Luke is being funny or if he actually poured a decaf coffee before her. If he did, that is a, a huge violation for us coffee addicts in the world. Well, decaf coffee also tastes a lot worse. Yeah. So I feel like she would notice. Yeah. Wow, there is a lot to talk about in this next scene. Lorelai drives to her house in response to her phone call from her neighbor, Babette. This is Babette Dahl and Maury Dahl. Babette is played by Sally Struthers, who many may remember as Gloria from All in the Family. But I also want to mention that she voiced characters on the show Dinosaurs and Tailspin, two of my favorite shows as a kid. Maury is played by actor Ted Rooney. Babette and her husband are very concerned about the presence of two strangers lurking around Lorelai's house, apparently kicking over gnomes. Poor gnome. Yes, I, I'm not surprised that Lorelai is someone that would own a gnome. Oh, Babette's gnomes. Oh, Babette's gnomes. Babette is also holding a cute little orange kitty who's meowing. We know from a later episode that is her cat, Cinnamon. So Cinnamon and her two human parents look on as Lorelai goes to the house to figure out what's going on. She is confronted by two men attempting to install DSL in her house. One of the men introduces himself as Mick. But of course, everybody, we know that is Kirk, played by actor Sean Gunn. But he has not manifested into Kirk yet. This is by far the biggest discrepancy in this show because I know from later episodes that Kirk grew up in Stars Hollow and Mrs. Kim once said that she has known Kirk since he was two. So we know that Kirk should be living there and Lorelai has lived there 15 years. So we have a big problem unless we all just as a town accepted Kirk trying out the identity of Mick for a little while. That seems like it's consistent with what Kirk has going on later on, right? It's the only way I can accept this episode. That's a sensible take on it, I think. Also, one of Kirk's running jokes is that he has a different job in every episode. So this would be kind of like a funny joke about that, I guess. 
They are searching frantically for a ceramic frog that holds a key into the house so that they can install the DSL. Lorelai asks who it is that ordered this, and of course it was Emily Gilmore. Lorelai doesn't need DSL, she doesn't want DSL, she didn't ask for them to come. Man, remember DSL? I oh. do remember DSL. I remember when we got DSL and it was like a thing. As another universe, man. And although I understand that Lorelai is pushing this away because it's just one tiny, tiny little way Emily is weaseling her way into controlling Lorelai's life, she's okay with dial-up? Nobody in the history of the universe has been okay with dial-up. Even when dial-up was our only option and we didn't know that there was a choice outside of dial-up, we hated dial-up. Yes, I would agree with that. That's never been an acceptable option, even when it was the only option. At the end of this scene, Shakespeare is mentioned, but honestly, if you don't know who Shakespeare is, please turn off Gilmore Girls and read any book earlier than now. Shakespeare has written every single book that happened before the 21st century, in case you didn't know. My senior English teacher said that every book was based on Bible, Homer, or Shakespeare. That all literature was based on those three things. I would like to contest that. I, I'm sure that can't be true. Maybe all, like, white literature. <laughs> oh, touche. <laughs> Harris, I'm sorry. Please let me help you. Okay, that's one way of, of imparting that note. That's probably... Um, that's how I read it, okay? That's probably how Paris would have read it if she had actually read it, but instead she crumpled it and threw it away. And now Rory is done. She's like, look, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, and I've tried. I'm done. This bitch wants a war. She gonna get a war. And she proceeded to fight in the only way that she knows how and in my preferred method of fighting, which is weaponizing facts about Martin Luther. <laughs> and it's working because Paris is livid. For anyone out there who doesn't know who Martin Luther is, he is the one who reformed the Catholic Church in the 1500s because at the time, the Catholic Church was buying prayers and buying sin in order to extort uh, money from their parishioners. And Martin Luther came in and was like, this is not the Bible, everybody. This is not God. And you can't be doing this. And that's where the Reformation came in, which we was talking about. I don't expect everyone to know this. I know this because thank you, Lutheran Catechism. Indeed, thank you. I don't often thank my Lutheran upbringing, but at least I had this knowledge in my head. I was on board with what Rory was spilling out, and I would have been like right on board with her because I knew that shit. It was ingrained in well, me. Would you, would you have beat Rory to the punch in that classroom? It might have been a tie just because I'd been, especially at that time, I literally would have just graduated from catechism. See, in that setting, them's fighting words. Rory wouldn't have been my enemy. I would have loved to have been friends with Rory in high school. At the end of class, Harris leans over Rory's desk and says, what she say? Don't mess with me. I'll make this school living hell for you. Something along those I believe, lines. I know the words, I'll make this school stay, living hell. Stay out of my way. Stay out of my way. I'll make this place a living hell for you. And then the scene exits with Tristan yet again calling Rory Mary. Rory, as we know, is very meek. She's yes. a little meeker. She's a little self, you know, just quiet. But the difference between me and Rory is if it had been me, this would have been the moment when I smacked Tristan across the face. Bitch, my name is Rory. In the next scene, we see Lorelai storming into her mom's hair salon and knocking on her hair dryer. I think that that sign said Raphael Salon, but maybe I'm projecting because I'm a Leo and I see myself and everything. Maybe it says Rachel Salon. I'm sure it is your salon. <laughs> So Lorelai's in there, and she has to draw, this is the second boundary of the day that she is drawing a firm line in the ground. Listen, the deal was that if Emily and Richard paid for Rory's tuition, Rory and Lorelai would go to Friday night dinner. There's nothing in there about Emily coming in and making all these decisions for Rory, buying the internet, buying her car, all those things. Lorelai makes it very clear. She's still the decision maker in her household of two, and she doesn't appreciate her mom's interference. Emily is so excited to have Lorelai and Rory back in their life that she's trying to take advantage of it. I think that Emily is genuinely excited to do this for her granddaughter because she didn't really get to do it for her daughter. Another inconsistency in this scene is that in season two, Emily in one episode declares, I get my hair done every Wednesday at three, but this should be a Monday. 
Have you ever seen The Shining Man? Are you asking me if I've seen The Shining? I'm <laughs> that, confused. That is the, the line she says. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah, she says we like our internet slow. It allows us to make a sandwich and dance around. Otherwise, if our internet is fast, it would be all work and no play. Haven't you ever seen The Shining Man? I missed that line. I've seen this scene three times now. <laughs> Well, the Lorelai's first day at Chilton is finally over. Lorelai is standing at the Jeep with her fourth, fifth, sixth cup of coffee of the day. Who knows? Rory comes out, drops her books, is just so happy to see a friendly face again. And they try to just leave this day behind. Rory tells her mother about how Tristan was calling her Mary all day. And again, we go into biblical talk. Apparently, Anglicans just love talking about biblical facts very advanced of course we have the virgin mary jesus's mother who's the holy mother and then mary magdalene who is known for possibly having questionable virtue but was one of jesus's followers rory is very impressed that her fellow students are so advanced to use biblical insults wow this is an advanced school there's nothing advanced about tristan <laughs> <laughs> Burn. Also, I just want to talk about how obsessed I am with Lorelai's work suit. Isn't that so cute? It had like the ruffle, like bell on the back. Actually, she, she looked, looked great. She cute. looked great. Too bad she didn't have that earlier, huh? Last scene. Yes, evening falls upon Stars Hollow as we see Lorelai, Rory, and Lane walking down the street comparing notes about their days, eating pizza. Lane is sharing with Rory that for once she had to actually pay attention to her fellow classmates and notice that they were there and um, she was disappointed unfortunately. They've lost their friend soulmates and their companions through school so they're both simultaneously mourning that. Everybody is now in a different outfit. They had time to come home, change, go out for pizza. Rory, don't you have a binder you have to get to? True. Maybe they're just taking the first night off. That's a good idea. I think it's a good idea to decompress. I did notice as they're talking about this, Lane realizes that it's 6.30 and she is late for dinner with her mom. Her mom figured out a way to buy bulk tofu. She's wearing a pink sweater. Her hair is kind of in a partially down, partially up ponytail. And so she pulls off her scrunchie and her sweater and gives it to Rory. So was she borrowing Rory's clothes or are those clothes that she's not allowed to wear? and so she lets Rory hold on to them and she just puts them on when she's at school. These are definitely items that Lane owns and she stores at the Gilmore Girls house. She does the same thing with CDs and other trinkets throughout the seasons as well. But circling back to our discussion before about the costume designer in the show specifically picking out things that would have been relevant at the time, Lane was wearing a Roxy sweatshirt, which was very big. When I, I was remember in high those. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What was that store? PacSun? Was that the name of it? That is a store that was popular that I think sold that kind of stuff. Quicksilver, Roxy, and all that like surfer California look, which was so cool at the time, but was way too expensive and I never could buy it. Yeah. I never had that either, but all my friends did. So Lane has to run home for her tofu dinner, which don't knock tofu. I love tofu. I don't have a problem with tofu. I don't know if I want to be like surrounded by tofu. That's true. <laughs> so that leaves the Gilmore girls alone to decompress on their own. They walk across the street in front of Dozy's Market. There's a sign that says farm fresh sweet corn on sale at Dozy's Market, 25 cents. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. It's almost as good of a deal as bulk tofu. Rory is dreading having to face Paris again at school, but I think it's really good that Rory has finally met her match. Lorelai offers sincere help to her daughter. She understands, also makes a joke. Do you need help? Do you need to call someone? Do you need help from a big guy named Moose? That's actually a reference to the character Moose from the Archie comics. He was like a big bulky football guy. They keep walking past Luke Steiner. Lorelai says, what do you think of Luke? Now this is where Lorelai switches back to very inappropriate with her daughter. Probably shouldn't talk about adult men and whether they're cute with your currently 15 year old daughter. That's a little creepy. 
in that moment, she's treating Rory as a friend rather than as a daughter slash parent. And she's actually asking her to assist in her romantic decision making. And And once again, Rory has to be the parent and shut it down. I am starting to understand a little bit more why Rory's sometimes joylessness or what can be perceived as joylessness if she has to be serious and has to kind of keep their feet on the ground in terms of reality. And I can see now that Rory's having to be that person. And that does kind of explain so much of her frustration. You know, don't shit where you eat. We come here every day. This is where we get our coffee. This is where we get our burgers, where we decompress. You know, if you have a failed romantic relationship with Luke, Stars Hollow is a very small town. And that prompted me to think about what it must be like to date in such a small town, such a small community. Like we live in Chicago. So it's like, if we have a romantic thing and it doesn't work out, it's a big city. It doesn't necessarily have to have a material effect on our day-to-day life. I don't know how I would navigate that in such a small environment. Especially if it ended poorly. Oh, that happened to me when I lived in Vermont. And it was horrible. It was horrible. It was horrible. I would be at work at the time I worked at a coffee shop, the only one in town. And I would see this person walk past the window while I was at work. And it was devastating because he was also a horrible person. And it's actually the reason why I needed to leave Vermont because I couldn't take it anymore because there was absolutely no way to escape. And so coming to a big city like Chicago was such a relief. It's a place where you can connect with a lot of people, but it's also a place where you can be alone when you need to. Yes, exactly. Except right now during quarantine where we're just alone all the time. We're not alone. We have each other. We have each other and we have Winston and Tonks. So they just keep on walking. Rory shuts Lorelai down. But she does give her permission to date Stinky Al from the Pancake Place. And as they walk away, Luke comes out and watches them longingly as Sam Phillips' guitar fades up and then a random dog runs across the stream. But we just have this beautiful little moment of the town. The lights are on. Poor Luke is standing in the door just thinking, will I ever have her? Oh my god! I don't know. So corny. I love it. It's so cute. Luke is so cute. Do do do. Once again, we are back at the arts and entertainment shelf where we talk about the music, movies, books, and cultural references from each episode. The music featured or mentioned is XTC Apple Venus Volume 2. And Sam Phillips, I don't know how to say goodbye to you. The books are Harry Potter, specifically referencing Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, War and Peace and Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy, David Copperfield, Great Expectations, A Tale of Two Cities, and Little Dorrit by Charles Dickens. Asana, have you read anything on today's book list? Let me see, what have I read? I've read Great Expectations. And that's it. That's all I read on this that's list. That's it? That's it? I told him oh, the worst no. English major of all time. That breaks my heart because Anna Karenina is one of my favorite books of all time. I saw the movie with um, Kara Knightley. No, fuck that movie. I hated it. Well, I hated it. Why Why did you hate it? I don't know, but I didn't like it. I think I don't like Kara Knightley. Oh. 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 But no, I don't think it lived up. I, I do own that book if you ever want to read it. I keep t- I keep <laughs> passing by. You have a shelf of like Russian novels. And oh. I keep passing by and thinking, I should read that. I'm genuinely not saying this to be like a fucking asshole about it. I'm, I'm not trying to be like, oh. I really love Russian literature from the 1800s, specifically 19th century Russian short stories. So I am a big fan of Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. I have read a lot of their works as well as many others. So I personally recommend Anna Karenina. I actually have not read Born Peace. I read Crime and Punishment. Anna Karenina is one of my all-time favorite books. It's very devastating, but it's really, I don't know, it's just, I just really love it. On the Charles Dickens list, I have read Great Expectations and A Tale of Two Cities. I've never read David Copperfield, and I've definitely never read anything about Little Dora. I genuinely don't know what Little Dora is even about. However, I do think I like David Copperfield, the story, because I remember when I was younger, probably in late elementary or junior high, I remember watching the TV movie or series of David Copperfield that I now know 
starred Daniel Radcliffe, a.k.a. Harry Potter. But I remember watching that and really loving David Copperfield. I've just never read it. So the movie, Schindler's List, and The Shining. I love The Shining. I am not a scary movie person. I actually do not watch horror films. It's very difficult for me. I watched a lot of horror films at a way too early age, and it traumatized me to the point where I can't watch them as an adult. But The Shining is different because it's such a good film that it kind of escalates. And there's a few other kind of more modern horror films like Midsummer that are a little bit more, you can argue that they're higher art in terms of horror film. It's still very hard for me to watch and I, I generally don't watch them. But The Shining, I will watch during the day with the lights on, preferably with a companion. But I do think it is an excellent film and I have seen it many times. Surprisingly, surprisingly, I have not seen The Shining because I haven't seen a lot of things. I did not grow up watching horror films though, and the horror films that I see now that I'm an adult, I'm not scared of them. I would say the only traditional horror film that I have seen that I experienced fear during was The Birds of All Things. <laughs> that was a frightening film. Well, that's all for us today, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll catch you next time. This has been Welcome to Stars Hollow, the podcast. For more episodes, make sure to subscribe to Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. For extra fun, find us on Instagram at at Stars Hollow Pod. Come here, monster. I know, I know. You ain't being picked up. But you gotta stop eating the carpet. Stop eating the carpet. That's staying in. Yes. <laughs>